Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is the only person to ever appear on the show despite somehow still not following me on Twitter. It's, uh, it's Tyler Dello. Tyler, what's going on, man? Not much, Dimitri. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good. It's, uh, it's a busy time of year. Um, we got the playoffs going on. We got some big news out of Buffalo today. Um, do you want to touch quickly on the stuff that's going on with the Sabres? Do you have any, any thoughts? Uh, we, we've only had, what, like half an hour or so to, to digest the news, but uh, Tim Murray and Dan Bowsman got fired. What, what, what was your first takeaway when you, when you saw that news hit the, hit the Twitter sphere? Uh, it's, it, I guess my first takeaway was this. It's re- doing rebuilds and, and, you know, blowing out your defense is, uh, is a tricky thing to do. And I, I think the problem with it is that you can get the forwards in fairly quickly to, you know, put the team in a position to score some goals. But I think it can be hard to get the defense built back up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like people in Buffalo, I think, probably get sick of hearing about the Leafs. But you look at what the Leafs do- did. And, you know, Jake Gardner, Morgan Riley are eating huge minutes right now. And the Leafs didn't sort of, you know, toss them out the door when they rebuilt, whereas Buffalo, you know, really stripped it down. Like, what were they in 14-15? They were like a 37% Corsi team or something? Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, it was, uh, it was right down there. And the funny thing is, is a lot of guys, a lot of the defensemen from that team are, are, still, are still there. Like, Ristolainen played a bunch that year. Um, what's his name? Gorgeous, gorgeous Georges. Gorgeous Georges. Yes. So they've got a they've got a lot of those guys still on the team, and you know, like, like to me, like I think Buffalo's got a pretty good team, and you know, in all fairness to Tim Murray, I, I like a lot of what he did, and like I saw some people kind of you know sniffing about Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard put up a nine twenty this year mm-hmm. in uh, fifty nine games. Like that's 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 perfectly acceptable for a starting goalie. Um, but you know, the issue to me is like the penalty killing was a disaster. And, you know, they weren't a particularly good possession team and that's, that's hard to overcome. So, so yeah, like, like that really is it to me is, you know, Tim Murray was there, what, four years, three years. And, you know, I, it's hard for me to see how that group of defensemen is going to support the team taking the next step back to the playoffs. And then it's also hard to see 
yeah, or it's not hard to see, but like in in the bigger picture, I think that's where rebuilds can get in trouble. Is when you get the forwards in place, or you get the goaltending in place, but you don't have the defenseman who can kind of support the uh, the team. Yeah, and and listen, I, I thought the Sabers were a pretty competitive team, all things considered, this year. As you mentioned, Leonard was was really really good for pretty much the entirety of the season, and, and their forwards were perfectly fine. It's it's that defense. I mean, there's a lot of Dmitry Kulikov and Josh Georges involved, and uh, I know that you know certain people are going to use this as a chance to kind of rag on the idea of bottoming out and tanking as a, as a way to build up your team. But I think that I still believe that was the right move and they did the right thing. It just that ultimately, especially this past year, they didn't really show an ability to, uh, to work on the margins and, and bring in kind of quality players in those sort of bottom six, you know, depth defenseman roles that could actually help boost the team a little bit. Instead, they were just giving minutes to guys that were dragging everything down. And, and that's ultimately what I think did them in this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like I say, like when you compare their rebuild with Toronto's, like to me, that's the big difference in the Leafs' turnaround. Mm-hmm. Is you know when when the Leafs bottomed out, like they were a fifty percent Corsi team last year, or something. It might have been a little higher, and you know they bottomed out not because they couldn't get a hold of the puck or, or move the puck, but because they couldn't score and and they couldn't stop the puck. And so when you talk about like how do we want to tank? What's the way to tank? You know, the way Toronto did it um, seems to me to be far preferable to the way that, you know, we saw we saw Buffalo do it in fourteen fifteen. just in terms of it's it's easier to get out of the muck the way Toronto went about it than it is the way the Sabres went about it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's uh, that's enough on the Sabres for now. Let's get into the playoffs. Um, I haven't done a show since they started, mostly because, I mean, a, I don't really want to be overly reactionary and have all these strong conclusions after just a game or two. And, and honestly, with the quick turnarounds these series are having, there's so little time to digest and analyze stuff before the next game is played that it kind of just, the, the shelf life for, for these podcasts isn't very great, but a lot of people have been clamoring for it. So, uh, I'm excited to get into this with you. Let's go, let's go series by series and let's, since we're recording this on a Thursday morning, I thought that, you know, talking about the games that happened last night while they're fresh in our minds would be a good start. And, and it seems like the Capitals and Leafs is the, the natural starting point here, considering it's been easily the most captivating series out of any of the bunch. Uh, people outside Toronto are going to hate that. But yeah, it's been a good one. Yeah, it's OK. So one of my favorite things about the postseason is... You know, you, you get rid of some of the clutter and the filler and the teams and players that don't matter and you really have a chance to key in on specific matchups and X's and O's and, and when you have teams playing four to seven straight times, there's there's all this stuff that comes up and I think that, you know, for hockey nerds like you and I, the chess match with the adjustments from one game to the next are the absolute best and I thought uh, our, our, our good mutual friend Jimmy James Myrtle did a great job of uh, of capturing this in his game recap yesterday where he kind of keyed in on the fact that you know, after the Capitals really got a hand it to them in Game Three, especially by the combination of Matthews and Nylander, uh, Trotz went back to the drawing board and realized that he needed to change how he was defending them, and he basically shadowed them with with his best defenseman in Matt Niskanen, and and that made all the difference in the world. I mean, they went up from that matchup happening like forty percent of the time through the first three games up to two thirds of the time in Game Four. Um, well, I guess the question is, why did it take so long for the Capitals to do that, especially considering that they had last change in the first two games of the series? I don't know. I, I think Trotz has run his bench a certain way this year. Like I know early in the season, they were using Niskanen in more of a matchup role, and that kind of petered out as the year went along, and he went about it a different way. But you know, to me, I think it's sort of part of a bigger thing about defensemen. It's so weird. Like Some guys kind of get pigeonholed as 
you know, oh, he's an offensive defenseman, so you don't play him against the other team's best players. And, you know, that's not necessarily, you know, the way to go about it. And I think I think Niskanen certainly had that. Like, he's someone who I think has been very interesting for a long time and underrated for a long time. Um, and if you go back, he's he's done really well um, going back through Pittsburgh. I think even in Dallas, he kind of got PDO'd there for a while. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that it's that unusual that it, you know, took the Caps a while to try that out. But, um, you know, it's, it's not surprising to me that they're getting more success um, with Niskanen against that line than, than with anyone else. What is it about a guy like Niskanen? Because he's one of these players where, where you know, we always talk about, like, there aren't, there aren't necessarily, you can't just look at the huge point totals or, or you know, counting stats or, or block shots or hits or, or anything like that to really capture his value. It's sort of, he just seems to be one of these guys with, with great mobility and, and hockey sense. And it seems like whenever he gets the puck, he doesn't necessarily do something overly flashy with it, but it's always the right play. Like, how do we, that, that, that does seem like it's kind of the, the one uh, gap we need to cover here with our analysis in terms of really finding a proper way to evaluate the contributions of guys like him. Yeah, I, I don't, it's it's interesting, like, you know, I guess for one of the points with him, he'd have more points if he was on that first power play unit. Right, right. So, you know, like, to the extent that people get hung up on points for defensemen, um, you know, it's it's very much a product of opportunity. And and it's funny, because this year, like, their, their power play, their first unit, when Carlson was on it, stunk. And they got Niskanen in there, and it was just fine. And then obviously Shattenkirk's a bit of an ace, so he's he's taken over that role since he's come along. And it makes sense, like when they brought in Shattenkirk, like I can see the argument for displacing Niskanen from that unit once you've got a Shattenkirk, just because that frees you up uh, with Niskanen at five on five. And I, I think he's legitimately great there. But to me, it goes back to how do you evaluate defensemen? And you know, like I'm a big believer in you know, like figuring out like how does this guy impact on possession once you adjust for the context that he faces. And, you know, Niskanen, that's something that he's done really well. And, and, and I worry less about the points and more about that. And, you know, like I guess it kind of keeps with what we're talking about Buffalo, right? Like Buffalo doesn't have a lot of defensemen who can really positively impact on possession. And it's funny too, like it, it's amazing to me. Um, like imagine if Niskanen was a free agent this year. Like, what would he get? You have to think he would get a pile of money. And the crazy thing is that, like, when he was a free agent two years ago, or was it two or three years ago they went to? Uh, I think three years ago now. Three years ago. Yeah. He was a, when he was a free agent three years ago, he wasn't, you know, like, I don't know, everyone thought he was good. He would get five and a quarter. But, you know, I, I don't think he was properly appreciated then. Well, do you, do you think we're actually at that point where I feel like even if he hit the open market right now, like, he'd get maybe a bit more money than that, but he'd still probably be a good value for the team that signed him. Like I, I think that players with his, uh, with his statistical resume or, or a particular game are still a little bit out, undervalued by the majority of the league. Well, that's, that's almost a separate question, right? Cause I think that there's like a class of players who are like, I don't think that the money distribution, in the NHL necessarily makes sense. Right. And, um, you know, like I think a guy like Niskanen probably impacts the game. Like, you know, he's at five and a quarter. He probably impacts the game a lot more than a lot of defensemen who are at $3 million. Yeah. So, 
you know, like whatever he got if he was a free agent, I suspect he'd be good value. Well, I mean, the other adjustment the Capitals have made in the series, and it's tough to know for sure whether it was their hand was forced doing it just because of injury or whether uh, it was a realization that this particular matchup required some more speed. But going from, from Carl Alsner to Nate Schmidt, in my opinion, was also a pretty big step up for them. And, and I know for a lot of people that might seem like a weird thing to say because Nate Schmidt is another one of those guys where if you look at just his superficial uh, his stats, you're not really blown away by them and he doesn't have a pedigree or anything and hasn't been around for a long time. So a lot of people aren't familiar with his game, whereas Carl Elsner was a former top pick and he's been around forever and he's one of these gritty, durable guys that always plays and blocks shots and kills penalties. But I just think it's like it's it's tough at this point, even if you adjust for how they're used and what they're asked to do, that to make the argument that Alsner is a superior player to Schmidt at this point, which is funny to me because you know Schmidt very well could get exposed in this year's in this summer's expansion draft, whereas Alsner's probably going to get like five plus years and five plus million from some from some poor poor team this year. So it's 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 amazing just how uh, how opinion on these two guys and in, in sort of the public sphere uh, differs and and what they're actually capable of contributing to their teams well it's you know it's it's the same thing now Alsner I think was was their matchup guy all year yeah and and I think that sometimes analytically inclined people sort of don't take that into account enough uh when looking at a guy's numbers but um you know it's it's you know I, I agree with your broader point that you know it seems like a class of guys kind of get the re- reputation of being you know good defensive defenseman and regardless of what happens or what they do on the ice from that point forward, they're sort of uh, in a great spot to continue getting paid. Mm. Um, from the Leafs' perspective here, uh, you know, they're still in a pretty good spot here. I think if you told them they'd be 2-2 at this point in the series, they would take that every day of the week. Um, heading back to Washington, like what what sort of adjustments uh, do they need to make to, to get back control of this series? Like, is it just... Like, I guess looking at this series in a, in a big picture, um, do you think that they've actually been uh, been holding serve here with the Capitals in terms of just, just keeping up with them during the course of play? Or, or do you think that there's something that they need to, to alter to, to take that next step? Um, I don't know. Last night was obviously a bit of a, a, bit of a barn fight in a bad way for the Leafs. Mm. Um, but in general, like, I think they've been right there. Like, they haven't been... They haven't been, um, like, I don't think they've been getting badly outplayed or anything in this series. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, it's, if you looked at Washington, the one thing about Washington this year, I think they had like 103 point something PDO. Like, it was just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, you look at teams like that and you're always like, yeah, you know, you're a little vulnerable to the percentages running against you. And, um, you know, so I, I, I think it's a case of maybe the gap. And the other thing is, like, with the Leafs, right? Like with a team like Washington, veteran team, same coach. Like it, it wasn't like Trotz was new this year. He's been there a couple of years. You know what they were in November is pretty much you know what they are now, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Um, but with Toronto, like you know Toronto had what eight rookies or something this year, and and I think it's re- you know new goalie. Like there, there's been a lot of change there, and I think it's you know you know with a team like the Leafs, you know what they were in November isn't necessarily what they are now. So, you know, like, I, I think what you're getting at here is, you know, like the series is 2-2, you know, are, are the Leafs just sort of hanging in or are they real? And I, I kind of think they're real. Like, you know, they're obviously not a team without flaws. Like, they've got issues on defense. 
Um, or not big issues, but they could certainly use another defenseman or two. But, you know, it, 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 it's not to me a series where it's 2-2 and the Leafs have kind of landed a couple of uh, Hail Marys to, uh, to get to that position. So, you know, I, I think Toronto, you know, keep plugging and, and, and see what happens. Take it one shift at a time. Yeah, one tip at a time, 110%. Uh, you know the- <laughs> get bucks deep. Um, no, it's the thing with all of these matchups, it, it's so fascinating to me. Is like just the stylistic battle that goes on between the two teams and sort of this internal struggle that you go through as, as a coach or as a team, as a collective, in terms of like, do you just keep playing uh, the way you played all season and what got you to this point and made you successful? Or do you try to uh, make adjustments on the fly? And if you do, like how, uh, inter- like how fundamental those changes really are and how consequential. And for the Capitals, like I imagine that pretty much any other team in, in these playoffs, if they went up against them, uh, they'd be well suited to, to open the game up and, and play more sort of free flowing, fast paced hockey. But I think like the Leafs are just uniquely situated to uh, either keep pace for them or actually be kind of favored in that so it's interesting like i think in game four we saw the capitals definitely play a bit of a more structured game especially throughout the neutral zone and and uh, I wonder if we see more of that moving forward in the series because while they they definitely played a structured game throughout the regular season as well and there's a lot of things that made them successful like just sort of playing a, a run and gun style uh it may, may not suit them well in, in these games five six and, and seven if we need one yeah well i yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, like from Washington's perspective, I think they're better off with sort of a very slow, structured game that kind of grinds along, as opposed to uh, letting some of Toronto's guys wheel. Um, but it's you know it's funny. Like, I, I, there was so much talk before this series about this being a bad matchup for Toronto, but it's kind of a lousy matchup for the Caps too, mm-hmm. just because, like you say, like in most series. Uh, you know the caps are going to be if it turns into a bit of a a bit of a fire wagon hockey type thing. The caps are going to be you know better at that than the other team, and and just in this series, like you know they they really can't trade you know or they the Leafs can trade if if they want to trade chances, the Leafs can get up there with them. So I, I think it's a you know it's a bit of an awkward matchup for the Capitals. And, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it plays out. I, uh, you have to favor Washington, given that they're up 3-2, or given that the series is tied 2-2, and they've got the, the two of the next three home games. But, um, you know, Toronto is, is right there with them. Yeah, no, they definitely are. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Let's, let's, let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about the, uh, the Wild and Blues matchup. Um, Listen, Minnesota's controlled like north of 60% of, of the shot attempts, the shots on goal, the scoring chances, the expected goals, like pretty much every category they've dominated in. But Jake Allen's stopped 140 of 145 shots he's faced. And I think this is like a prime example of why whenever we do previews for these matchups or, or talk about different playoff series, like you have to lay out why you think a certain team is better and why you think they'll win. And then you kind of at the end add the caveat. Well, but also if the other team's goalie has an out of body experience, I could see them winning as well. And that's pretty much, uh, I guess where we're at with this series right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And it's, I don't know. Like it's gonna, it's gonna stink for Minnesota if they lose this series. And I'm not convinced that they will lose this series. Like mm-hmm. it's, um, I wrote about this a few years ago. Um, but like three nothing leads aren't what they once were. And it's so funny, right? Because you kind of have it programmed into you from, and you're like 15 or something. But uh, <laughs> older people yes. kind of have it programmed into them that like a three nothing lead is just game over. 
And so like for me growing up in the eighties and, you know, early nineties, there were massive differences between teams. And so if a team was up three, nothing, they were probably a much, much better team than the other team. And, you know, and in that case, like being up three, nothing, it wasn't just that you were down three games. It was also that you sucked compared to the other team. And I, I think we've seen what well, we've seen two comebacks from three, nothing in the last seven or eight years. Right. Like, yeah. uh, Boston was it Philly, Philly yep. from Boston, and then the Kings came back on San Jose. And if you look, what you find is is that like you know twenty five years ago when a team was up three nothing, um, the team that was up three nothing tended to have a way better goal difference than the team that was down three nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. Like it's the game that you know the league has become so much more um, balanced. So, you know, like when you see a three nothing lead now, like there's almost and I'm sure this will come up when we talk about Calgary. But when you see a three nothing lead now, there's almost certainly a lot more kind of luck and bounces and whatnot involved in it. And so, you know, like it's you're right. Like if a goalie plays lights out, he can he can you know, he can turn that series. And, you know, at the same time, you can't expect Jake Allen to do that going forward. Minnesota has been pretty good this year. So it, it wouldn't shock. Well, it would surprise me. But you know, I don't think it would be a stunner if Minnesota somehow found a way out of it. So I was talking about this with someone uh, yesterday. Um, what would be, what would your thoughts be on playing these series in more of a European soccer style aggregate score rather than uh, wins and losses? I don't know, like a seven game series based on uh, aggregate score. Yeah. Or you can make it five, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I, I like, I like wins and losses. I'm mm. on. I, I guess the issue I have with that is that, you know, I don't know, look at that San Jose Edmonton series. So, you know, do you want that to, you know, do you want that series to be effectively over because the Oilers had a bad game? Like I, look, I like soccer. I like total goals, but you know, like I think the good thing about hockey in the playoffs is um, if you have a bad night, you know, it's, it's a bad night. It's not, well, there, there goes the series. Right. But I also think that some of these games, uh, like, you know, maybe the, the games are closer in the playoffs, but it, it, you definitely get the feel like uh, after a certain point that, uh, I don't know, the, the game just stops being what it was, was what it was early on if, if it gets out of hand. Like, I, I, just, I think incentivizing teams to be playing uh, their absolute best for, for the full 60 minutes or, or at least trying to would be a, a step in the right direction. I don't know. It's, 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 it's obviously never going to happen. I just thought it was an interesting thought exercise. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't mind the odd blowout and then things get stupid. It, it's, um, you know, it's part of the unique sauce of the playoffs that we all enjoy so much. I guess so. I don't know. It just it just seems stupid to me. As you mentioned, like the, the Wild very well could come back in a series, but they're still fighting a pretty uphill battle here down 3-1. And, you know, on, on aggregate, they'd only be down one right now. And, and I'd feel pretty good about them overcoming this deficit over the next three games. But right. I, don't, I, I don't know. It, it, you're right. There's definitely examples like that, like that Oilers game where now they'd be just totally screwed just because they, they were down seven in that one. So I don't know. From, from, from St. Louis's perspective, um, I did think it was interesting after game one, Mike Yo had some comments in the press about how he, he was sort of sort of boasting about how the Blues had figured out shot quality essentially, and and how they were willing to give up all these all these uh you know high vo- high volume shots to the, to the Wild, but keeping them all to the outside and not letting them in the in the middle of the in the middle of offensive zone. And I, I guess the question is, why do coaches still do this in 2017 when we can so easily? Uh, verify whether that's true or, or whether it's completely fabricated. Is it just purely like self-preservation from their perspective? 
Um, it's funny. I think people sometimes put way too much stock into what coaches or general managers say to the media. Because mm. the problem is, if you're a coach, you have to go out there and feed the machine after the game, right? Or you have to go out there and feed the beast. And, um, you know, so, I don't know, you ever hear the old saying about, so, I guess you have some American listeners. So, in Canada, um, we have a parliamentary system of government. And the prime minister and the and and his cabinet have to answer questions, uh, you know, every day or every other day, whatever it is. And there's an old saying that it's called question period or question time, not answer time. And you know that to me is really something that should be a guiding principle for coaches doing that. So if you're if you're Mike Yo going out there after you've just been blasted. Um, he's not worried about people like you, right? Like, you know, there's some people like you who pay pretty close attention to where the shots are coming from, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's an opportunity for him to go out there and kind of influence, you know, what the media are talking about his team, which, which will, which will impact on what the fans are talking about for his team. And, and so, you know, like, I, I think it's a case of, you know, he doesn't want to go out there and say, holy cow, did we get torn apart? And God, how did we win that one? And, you know, so instead he goes out and sort of sends a message that, yo, yeah, shot quality, blah, 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 blah. Now, you know, it's fine for people to say, look, that's that's nonsense. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, that sort of a line will still sell right now. So if you're him, why wouldn't you do that to kind of deflect some attention from the fact that your team got badly outplayed? It's 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 question period. It's not answer period. Yes, I guess that is true. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other takeaways in this series, or can we move on to another one? Like, it, 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 it's, it's the central time zone. You know, like it's the central time zone is just invariably. I feel like I never, I never see much of the series there in the first round because you know you got the early games on, and then, and then you know, so they end, and then you're like, okay, well, I'm looking for another game, and it's like, oh, this game's got ten minutes left, or I can get right into a you know Calgary game or whatever's happening out you know in the real West. Yeah, no, it's in that definitely awkward middle spot. I just, man, I'm like emotional. Like a little child. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm emotionally bracing myself for all the hot takes. If, uh, if the Wild really do wind up losing this series, about how, how Bruce Boudreau just can't win in the postseason. Yeah, I, I look. I, I wouldn't say I feel bad for him because the guy's had tremendous success as a coach, but um, that's that's a narrative I really don't buy. Like I've, I've had this conversation with somebody. In, in media and I've sort of, you know, he's like, well, I always loses game seven, always loses game seven. And I like went back and looked and man, he's had some tough beats in game seven. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I you know, like, and I, 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 you know, it would be a great, like, uh, if we had 30 for 30 in Canada, like I'd love to see like a 30 for 30 about that, uh, nine ten caps team that ran into the, uh, into the Canadians yep. and just like looking at where they had shots from and where they weren't scoring from. Because my recollection was that, you know, they, they played the Canadians off the ice, but just Halak was, you know, Allen-esque. And, uh, you know, you know, and they ended up losing the series. And, and it, it's, it's, there's such a, there's such a, you know, and I, you know, obviously rightly so, but there's such a focus on results in the playoffs, um, which is reasonable. But, but it drives the narrative about what happened. And like, if you lose, you lost because you're a loser. It's, you know, it's never like, wow, this guy has just had some, some horrific luck in terms of running into hot goalies or whatever. Yeah. There's gotta be some sort of a internal fatal flaw that's, that's doing him in when it matters most. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's talk quickly about, uh, the flames and the ducks. Uh, I think that, you know, you tweeted about how this is 
arguably the most uh, disappointing result. But we'll see how the uh, the Capitals series winds up shaking out. But it's uh, I think you and I were both, and a lot of people uh, were were pretty high on the Flames uh, th- towards the end of the season, and then heading into the playoffs, and even even in previewing the series and. I don't know, just like it, it goes to show you how big of a sort of slippery slope it can be in the playoffs when that when the margin for error is so small, because I really thought that the Flames were the better team in this series and especially in the first three games, but they just couldn't seem to get out of their own way and, and they couldn't get enough saves. And, and ultimately, that's uh, that's what did them in here. Yeah, that's um, like I really think for Calgary, the takeaway should, you know, like and, and the, the Flames are going to be rightfully, I think, aggrieved about some of the stuff that went on in the series. Mm-hmm. But like it's I don't know like you know this is true in life true in true in sports you know you 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 can't you can't focus on the stuff you can't control and Calgary you know you can't control if the ref makes a bad a bad call or a call you don't like you know you can control and like it's funny like there was some complaining about that Dougie Hamilton penalty I guess in game two well you know maybe it was a soft call but. When I when I looked a little while ago, Dougie Hamilton took a lot of obstruction penalties this year. Mm-hmm. So like like whether that was a soft call or not, there's something going on with his game there. And if you're Calgary, you know you can whine that it was a soft call, or you can try and figure out okay, well what's going on with his game, or, or how can we get how can we get him out of the position where he's at the mercy of the referees. And I really like Dougie, like, or Dougie Hamilton. I think he's a great player, but you know that's a that's a flaw in his game. And, you know, like the Flames, like it just took so many mindless penalties, particularly in Anaheim. Like just, just you know, in soccer, they talk about having, they call it tactical noose. Uh, the, uh, the British love this, oh, well, you know, noose, tactical noose. And it's, 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 like, it's like, like Calgary just seemed to have like no sense of the occasion and no sense of kind of gamesmanship in that series. Like it's like, oh, we're down a goal with five minutes left and Giordano get, gets hit. I'm going to break my stick cross-checking somebody. And it's like, dude, not the time. Yeah. Like, especially not in a playoff series where, you know, if, if, if you feel the need to uh, bust a stick over somebody, there will be less critical moments in which you can do it. And, and you know, like the line change, like, it's just, it's just like, like, you know, like, I agree with you. I thought Calgary played pretty well. But, you know, that Anaheim team, you know, I, I've never been a huge fan of them. But the one thing I will say, like, they have a lot of gamesmanship on that team. Like, guys who know, you know, when's the time, when's not. And, and, you know, ultimately, I really think that's what Calgary, well, that and the goaltending, but, um, you know, like Calgary kind of didn't have nearly as kind of the sense of the moment that the Ducks did. Yeah. Um, yeah, with the Ducks, it's, it's funny because they've really grown on me as the year has gone along. Like, obviously, it was very easy with, uh, with some of the moves they made this summer and especially the coaching change to, to be down on them and wonder whether they'd be able to get back to the levels they were at the past few years. But they've been playing better as the year has gone along. And I think that, uh, you know, like especially like the Patrick Eves trade, for example, really open them up to move Corey Perry down to that third line with Vermette and whether it's Andre Kasha or, or Nick Ritchie. And, and that line absolutely just destroyed the flames in this series. And all of a sudden they're, they're looking like a pretty deep team without that many holes. Like they, I think they still can be exploited. And once they run into whether it's, you know, especially if they play the sharks in the second round, I think they're going to be, uh, in, in, t- in rough shape there. But, like, how have they managed to uh, to exceed our expectations? Or, or I, I don't want to speak for you. Maybe you had uh, high expectations for them, even with Randy Carlisle being their coach heading into the season. Um. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I think there's. 
I don't know. For me, I think the big thing with them has been um, one: they have a lot of really good defense prospects, mm-hmm. like or, or young. De- I don't call them prospects; like good young defensemen. Like you know, I think something that's impressive with them is like they've lost guys to injury, and they have guys from San Diego they can just just call up and, and slide right in there, and and that's been a real a real you know advantage for them. Like particularly like when you contrast their defense with a team like Calgary's, right? Like where the Flames have sort of three guys you trust, and then it's kind of like woo. And and I I don't know that that's the case with Anaheim at all. So I think that's been a big thing. Um, I really think like having three lines that can play, and this is the point you made, like it just makes you so much tougher to deal with from an opposition perspective, because it means somebody you know half decent's getting to run at the uh, the third line or sorry, the third, third third defense pairing, like it just opens up so much. And so when I look at Anaheim, you know, and, and like you're, you're right, like they, they outdid my expectations too this year. Um, you know, I, I think really it's just they've got a reasonably deep group of forwards uh, and they've got, a, they've got a very, very deep defense. Like, you know, one thing Anaheim does incredibly well or has done incredibly well is draft. And, 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 you know, they just seem to have a conveyor line of defensemen who, who they can slot into that team. And, and it's obviously, it's worked pretty well for them in this series because had they not had uh, Theodore Montour, things would have uh, looked a little grimmer for them. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I, you know, I think before yesterday's game, uh, Ryan Kessler, it was announced, got nominated for the Selkie. And I know that you were heavily in the, uh, in the Michael Backlund camp as I was. Uh, but the thing with Kessler that's interesting to me is like, I, you know, ultimately in terms of just practical value moving forward in the rest of these playoffs, it doesn't necessarily matter. But just as a thought exercise, like I have, I have such a tough time separating the con- his contributions from even like, his line mates, Silverberg and Cogliano. Like I, I know I've, I've been asked, uh, who, you know, who's driving the bus there and who's the most important player out of those three. And it's, I'm not even sure it's Kessler. Like it, it's just such a fascinating, uh, exercise to try and figure out like who's responsible for what in, in terms of that combination. Yeah, no, it's, um, I, I agree with you. I, I think it is fascinating. Uh, like I, it's, it's funny. I've looked pretty closely at Vancouver, um, like over the last, Oh, I feel sorry years. for you, man. That sounds terrible. Well, well, this year I've tried to avoid it, but over the past 10 years, right? Yeah. Like when the Canucks were like peak Canucks, like that absolutely dominant team, mm-hmm. um, Kessler was driving that line. Then he gets, or driving that second line. Then he gets hurt and he misses a year and like his numbers never rebounded in Vancouver. And then he comes to Anaheim, and all of a sudden he gets in with Cogliano and uh, Silverberg, and his numbers are really good. And so it's kind of like, oh, and and they're not great on the penalty kill, right? Like I, you know, to me, I don't know. Like he's he's an average penalty killer, but um, you know, so I, I, you're right. Like it's a question of who's driving the bus there. And I have a hard time betting on a guy who is thirty, whatever he is, like in in his thirties and who looked to have been having kind of a down period in his career, all of a sudden getting really good again. And so it's kind of a, you know, like, to whom do you give the credit? I have a hard time believing that the credit should go to him. Um, now, he's got some aspects to his game that I think will age well. Like, if you're right-handed, that makes you kind of a valuable commodity in the NHL. He can shoot the puck, he can score goals. But I'm not convinced that he's kind of driving a shutdown line for the Ducks. Um, you know, I suspect that Cogliano, Silverberg deserves some credit for that. And I also think like whenever you talk about Anaheim, um, and it's ridiculous. Like I've talked to some guys who voted for the Norris trophy 
And like Hampus Lindholm just gets no attention. <laughs> and, you know, like I've, I've tweeted this out, but like when you look at Ducks forwards with and without Lindholm, it's, it's crazy how different their numbers are. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's pretty good. Um, we'll, we'll have a lot of time to talk about uh, the Flames uh, this post this this off season, but I think that I did want to quickly uh, discuss you know where they go from here because I think they're one of the most fascinating teams in the league to to keep an eye on this summer. Uh, I listen, they're good. They're in good, they're in good shape. They have uh, they have their core in place right now, and they have a lot of interesting players. But there's also a few big questions, and you know. I guess it all starts with why does Brad Tree Living currently not have a contract and, and is he going to be back? Because I'd feel much more confident in, in saying that they're going to handle this summer uh, appropriately if he is. But it just seems weird that this is like a story that a lot of people aren't, aren't really talking about right now that he still hasn't been re-upped for next season and no one's really discussing it. Well, I think people are discussing it. It's been kind of a, a staple of... Uh the late panel on Hockey Night in Canada for the last two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people furrowing their brows. Um, I don't know. Who knows what the deal is there? Um, it, it does seem like a strange thing. I agree with you. He's done a lot of good things. Um, like the one thing that I don't like that Calgary's kind of had a habit of doing is paying depth guys. Um, and, you know, I don't know everyone like likes to pick up on the Brower contract. I know the Flames fans I know are pretty uptight about that. But, there's so much good good stuff there with, with Dougie Hamilton. Um, oh man, now I'm blanking. Frolik. Like he, he's made he's he's made a lot of good moves. I, and just generally, like from a philosophical perspective, you know, trying to get the team to a puck possession team mm-hmm. as opposed to that kind of oh, let's just uh, let's just play counterpunch hockey and get pounded and try and hit them on the break. Like philosophically I, I, I like that approach. So yeah, I'm with you. Like I think you know, when you've got a guy who's kind of demonstrated the ability to do good work like him and um, and the team's the team's done well, which it has, um, to a certain extent, I kind of think get out of the way. Well, like the reason why I say they're interesting is because it's like their needs are pretty well defined where they could really use a fourth defenseman to play with TJ Brody. They could really use another like sort of skilled forward that can keep up with with Goodrow and and Monaghan and maybe bump the Furland down the lineup and there was the same needs they needed at the, at the trade deadline and unfortunately they didn't really address either of them so it's, it remains to be seen whether they can properly uh, evaluate what their needs and actually go about fixing them and I think the other big question is like you know their goaltending really uh let them down in this series and i think that for teams sometimes like that kind of disappointment can lead them into overreacting in the summer and 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 you know thinking that that's a really big need for them and we're going to shore this up by devoting a lot of resources to it and i think that like that would be a a pretty uh i i would hope that they wouldn't you know throw a bunch of money at a guy like Ben Bishop or something just to to try to make sure like this doesn't happen again because I thought, you know, both Johnson and Elliot are uh, impending free agents and we'll see what they decide to do with them. But I don't think that I would I would never like side in the camp of of overreacting to four bad games in net and and trying to fix it by throwing a bunch of money at it. I agree on the throwing a bunch of money at it. At the same time, I think sometimes, you know, when it goes bad for a goalie, you get into a position where the fans feel like they don't trust him. The organization feels like they don't trust him. Mm. And, you know, so like in Elliot's case, like it's probably better for everyone if Elliot moves on. And that's a shame because he played really well at points this year. But um, like like those two games in Calgary were just devastating. Mm-hmm. And and he really he really struggled. And, you know, he had a tough start to the year. 
So do you want to bring him back? And every time he lets in a bad goal, everyone's going to be kind of holding their breath going, um, oh, God, here we go again. So, you know, I agree with you in the sense of now, you know, that said, I agree with you that you can't make a good player great by giving him too much money. You can't make an average player good by giving him too much money. You can't make a bad player average by giving him too much money. So, like, I agree with you, like, you know, Calgary going out and bombing a bunch of a bunch of money at somebody isn't going to solve the issue. But I also kind of think that this might be a year in which there is, um, you know, some, some things available, a goalie, just there do seem to be some guys, some guys floating around. Um, and it's funny, like if you have a team like Calgary, like, you know, and again, like this kind of ties neatly back to the point we were talking about Tim Murray at the beginning, like, you know, I don't know what the devils are trying to do, but like they aren't trying to win a Stanley cup right now. Mm Mm-hmm. So is Corey Schneider worth more to them or is he worth more to a team that is trying to win a Stanley Cup right now? And I know he had a bit of a down year, but you'd still expect him to bounce back, right? Yep. yep. And 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 like if you're Calgary, like I think Calgary's got a window to win. Like, you know, I, I do think they have a window to win. If you could get Corey Schneider, boy, you'd uh you'd take a huge step as far as uh being in a position to sleep well at night and not worry about who's gonna be uh, between the pipes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it all depends on what the asking price for that would be. But I, I agree. He would make much more sense on a team like Calgary than, uh, than New Jersey at this point of his career. Um, okay. Let's, let's talk Senators Bruins here. Um, this is one of the most, uh, surprising series, I guess, so far for me because it seemed like everyone was, uh, just chalking this up as probably like Bruins in five. Uh, yeah. but listen, uh, the Senators have, I think it's safe to say outplay them so far in this series, like regardless of, you know, they're up three one, but even just purely taking that out of the equation, looking at how they've played, I, I they've blown me away by how much better they've looked than I thought they would against this Bruins team. And I think a lot of that probably can be chalked up to the Bruins' uh, blue line issues and 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 other injuries throughout the lineup. Yeah, no, I I think there's a big element of that, and I I know like going into this series, I wasn't really wild about uh, Ottawa. Um, at the same time, like you're right, the Sens have impressed me. I think something I probably didn't account for, although I think it was, it's hard to account for, is uh, the impact of Clark MacArthur. Mm-hmm. Like he's been, and again, like this series has been head-to-head with other series, so I haven't seen as much of it as I'd like. I think I've seen two games or bits of the other two. But um, MacArthur's, you know, he's really impressed me when you consider he's a guy who's basically out of hockey for two years. And, you know, he's, he's given them, you know, he's another guy who, who's good from a possession perspective. Um, and then, you know, so it's sort of been, from my view, a mix of that. Who was that guy who was on the ice for the winning goal in game three? Is his name Tommy Cross? <laughs> Is that his name? I, I, yeah, I, I, I've, I've never heard of him before and I follow hockey pretty closely. So I know I was, so I went, I went look, I think he was like a second round pick in 2007 who has like two NHL games. And, you know, you remember when Calgary went to the finals in 2004 and they had a guy, what was his name? Was it Brennan Evans? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think – I think he might have played like – I think he might be one of those guys who has like more playoff games than regular season games. And uh, I'm just looking up. Yeah, he has two playoff games and no regular season games, right? So, but you usually don't start seeing the Brennan Evans of the world until like late in the playoffs. Like, you know, when, it, when it's round one and you're, you're running out Philip Cross – uh, or not Philip, uh, what's his name? Um, <laughs> Joe Cross? Yeah, 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 Jeff Cross, Tommy Cross. Yes. Uh, you know, when it's round one, are you doing that? 
it probably says something about, you know, the, the state of your defense. Yeah, the guy's played three NHL games ever. Um, and, and it's, you know, in the playoffs, the margins are thin. And, you know, I, I think I think that's really, really hurt the Bruins uh, doing that. And then obviously, you know, uh, Eric Carlson's kind of in, uh, in freak mode. Yeah. No, I think the Bruins had a streak there where <clears throat> I believe it was like four straight games. Uh, they ended it with only five healthy defensemen. And each time they started with six, so it was just, it was remarkable seeing uh, guys drop like flies there. But no, you're right. I think, I think this series Carlson is having is, uh, we honestly can't overstate how good it's been because hockey, I agree, is generally a team game. And, and unlike in, you know, we're seeing with, uh, with the basketball playoffs going on right now, like aside from the goalie, it's, it's really tough for one player to just single handedly win a series. But like Carlson is doing it as close as I can really remember in the recent past. Like just you look at the fact that they have one goal as a team and like a hundred, 125 on five minutes without him on the ice. Like it's whenever he's not out there, they're just, it's nothing is really going to happen. And then he gets out there and all of a sudden they're, they're dominating regardless of whether the Bergeron line is on the ice or whoever is out there for the Bruins. And it's, it's just remarkable the impact he's had on, on this series and how all of a sudden people are now acting like this is a, a new thing for him and that we should start considering him as a top player in the league as if it, mm. as if that hasn't been the case for, for like four or five years now already. Yeah. Okay. That that is funny, right? Like I think when Eric Carlson's forty five or retired, looking back over over his career, he's going to look at Guy Boucher coming to the Ottawa Senators as kind of like someone who gets baptized and all his sins are washed away, right? Yeah. Because because like I don't know. I think Carlson's great. I think he used to be great, but it's like he's never going to have to live with that. Oh, he's just a rover. He doesn't play defense again for the rest of his career. Because, you know, Guy Boucher has come and, and, and washed his, uh, his sin away. So, you know, for the, for, that's just no longer going to be considered a valid criticism of him. And, you know, it was, you know, it was silly. Like the guy played an aggressive game, but hey, he produced. It was, it, so I think it was a bit of a silly criticism before. So that's sort of, you know, the first thing I think about that. The second thing I find funny about this, like Hockey Night in Canada loves to like give you like information, which is cool. But then they sort of rave about it. And, and I think sometimes they kind of miss the forest for the trees, right? So that, like, the one thing they go on about, there's a couple things. You ever notice how, like, they'll, like, put up a shot speed and they'll be like, this was, like, 75 kilometers an hour. Have you noticed that? Yep. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but 75 kilometers an hour isn't that fast. People in my league shoot the puck 75 kilometers an hour. Yeah. Like, what's impressive is not the number. What's impressive is that you can beat an NHL goalie shooting 75 kilometers an hour if you move the puck around well enough, right? And and it was the same with that 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 saucer pass that uh, what's his name um, Hoffman. Oh no! Well, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Carlson made the Hoffman. Yep. Like, um, it's not that hard to make a pass 120 feet on the tape because the other guy's adjusting for it. And like, I don't know, it's not that hard to make a saucer pass. What's impressive is seeing a guy who's 120 feet away and putting it in a position that he can get it. Like that was really the magic of that pass to me. Not not the fact that it was, uh, you know, um, 120 foot pass. And, and like the magic of Carlson is that that he, you know, he sees these opportunities on the ice that that other people don't see. And he has the willingness to uh, to take a run at him. Right. He's had a couple of those. I think, you know, like the Bobby Ryan goal in, in game four was a good example where 
it looked like kind of like a one of those slap passes and and i don't think anyone else in the ice realized that bobby ryan was cutting back door and was going to be wide open for a tap in other than carlson right there and uh another one was like in game two i believe when they tied it up late when he was like cycling around in the offensive zone and every single person on the ice was looking at looking at him except for the guy who wound up receiving the pass and scoring an easy one himself so it's like he's just thinking the game on another level right now and i wonder you know we talk about these adjustments and what teams can do to get back in a series i i, I don't I don't really know what you do right now if you're if you're Butch Cassidy and the uh, and the Bruins right now, other than just hoping that Carlson stops playing this well. Like I I I don't know. Like heading into Game Five in in Ottawa, like what what adjustment would you possibly be able to make right now to uh, slow him down? Well, I, and I haven't looked at the matchups in this series, um, but you're right. Like just aside here, like the story of the series in one line is Carlson sees things the Bruins don't. Mm. Um, and that's been the case game two, game three, game four, you know, I haven't paid attention to the matches in this series. I would think that, and it's strange to talk about trying to match a forward line against a defense, a defenseman. Right. But, you know, if I was Boston, I'd be wanting to get Bergeron's line out against, uh, what's his name? Carlson as much as humanly possible, just because that Bergeron line is so good. And Ottawa is a strange team where, you know, you need to game plan for the defenseman, uh, not, you know, a key forward or key forward line. Yeah, it's fascinating. I guess we'll see how it goes. And, uh, we, you know, uh, we might be eating our words about uh, writing the Senators off like we have all season. It's uh, it's been it's been a cool story just seeing how uh, Carlson's been able to take this game to the next level and seeing people start to finally uh, appreciate him for the great player he is. Um, let's take a quick little break here to hear from our sponsors and we'll get back to the rest of the series on the other side of things. All right. Let me give all of you a quick heads up about SeatGeek, who have been kind enough to both sponsor the show and also provide those of you who aren't skipping past this segment essentially some house money to work with. It's pretty sweet being a sports fan these days. Uh, the baseball season's underway. And most importantly, the NBA and NHL playoffs are finally here. If you've been waiting around for the right opportunity to go check out a game and enjoy the live experience of being in a building with a bunch of other crazed maniacs with similar interests screaming their heads off, this is as good a time as any to do so. Seeky can help you do just that. They've got a really handy mobile app that requires only a few clicks to find the best values on tickets that are out there. And when you finally pick something out to your liking, they'll even provide you with a $20 rebate to use on future ones as well. To get your own $20 rebate on tickets, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code PDO, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. All you've got to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today and you'll get those $20. Now let's get back to the show. All right, let's uh, let's let's talk Blackhawks Predators here. Um, I know that you were in the strong vocal camp of being a skeptical of the Blackhawks maybe not even you know to win the series but just based on how they were being talked about and and how pretty much everyone was picking picking them myself included and and how the Vegas line was just so out of whack and having them as one of the biggest favorites here in round one um I don't know it's it's I guess it's 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 played out how you uh how you thought it would so far uh yeah except for the um except for the whole thing like you know I wouldn't expect anyone to be up three nothing Mm. So, sorry, are, are we recording right now? Yep. Yeah, we are. I'm just confused. <laughs> so people who, you know, if you want to know what it's like on the other side of the, uh, the video cast, what happens is Dimitri says we're going to do a commercial. Yeah. And, and if you've ever done any radio, what usually happens is that means that, um, that means that, um, you know, you sometimes have some chit chat off the air. In Dimitri's case, it means, okay, we're doing a commercial. 
two second pause and then you just start roaring back into it. Yeah. So I'm a podcasting okay. professional here, man. Come on now. And I was like, man, I'm not wasting my good stuff on small talk. <laughs> you. Uh, okay. So obviously I'm surprised that it's three, nothing, right? You never expect a three, nothing at the same time. You know, there was a really good argument that Nashville was the better team. And like the crazy thing to me about this series, um, is the way the NHL does goal difference, right? Like, and, and this is a, like, I'm a big believer in goal difference as sort of a measure of a team mm-hmm. and the NHL, and this drives me nuts. They include shootout goals for and against. Like if you win a game, you get credited with one. If you lose a game, you get dinged with one. Um, they include three on three overtime goals and empty net goals. And there's just so much stuff in there that isn't really about hockey. It's sort of about, you know, the, the sort of the circus that the NHL uses to settle a quarter of the games. And it, it was crazy this year. I, I think, I think Chicago is 15 goal difference better than Nashville officially. But if you stripped out that stuff, um, all of a sudden Nashville was 17 goal difference better than Chicago. So that's a massive swing. And, and it's just like Chicago to me, like, like it wasn't real, their record. And you know, like it may well be that Quenville does a lot of good things in the regular season. And obviously he's a great playoff coach too, but you know, it may well be that he's got some good things figured out for overtime and overtime may also favor uh, Chicago, right? Just with the structure of their roster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the problem is though, is that doesn't tell you much about what's going to go on in the playoffs. Cause there's not going to be any three on three overtime. And you know, the, the, you know, the Blackhawks get so much deference, so much respect. And obviously they've earned that, but this just didn't look like a particularly vintage team to me. And watching that overtime in Nashville, uh, holy cow, like the Predators were just on the march. And there really wasn't a lot of pushback from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the, you know, the big X factor here is like Pecorine, even though he's looked like a bit of an adventure at times, has been stopping the puck very frequently. And, and, that was like the one concern uh, we would have had heading into the series because it seemed like Crawford over Rene was a was a pretty big uh, checkmark in the in the positive column for the Blackhawks. But Rene's held his own and and their depth has been uh, has been impressive. Like you know, obviously the the Forsberg, Arvidsson, uh, Johansson line has dominated, but just the fact that uh, Kevin Fiala's taken this next leap all of a sudden with 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 Yarncroke and and Neil, like that's given them another just dominant scoring line, and all of a sudden the Blackhawks don't really have the uh, like the depth concerns we had about them all season have really come to fruition in the series where they just haven't been able to to match up with the Predators in that regard. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that, and um, you know it's. I don't know, like at some point Chicago, you know, are they going down the same road as LA, right? Like this is kind of how it happened for LA is all of a sudden they started having these weird first round, well, not first round losses, but you know, they missed the playoffs and they had the first round loss and they missed the playoffs and the Chicago card, you know, and like an issue with that was they're paying too much money to guys who um, aren't helping the team, uh, you know, in, in a way that someone making that money should. And I think Chicago's starting to get guys like that. And so, you know, when they run into a, a deeper team in the playoffs, it, it creates some issues. And, and so I look at that Chicago team and like to me, the challenge they have is, is can they find a way? Can they find a way to get, uh, you know, to get Hosa's money off the books at some point? You know, and I, I think they probably have. And, and the, you can't say the Hosa deal was a bad deal. Like three Stanley Cups, you'll live with a five million dollar cap hit for four years if you have to. Who cares? But you know, like that Seabrook, man, that's a lot of money for a guy who's not a, you know, a real good top pair defenseman anymore. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah. and it's it's you know like it drives me nuts that teams say oh look you can't pay caves and you, you know your caves you can't pay, <laughs> pay, pay you know ten and a half million well that's not what kills them right like it's those guys you know and I know I know there's some knock on Taves but you know he's he's had you know some declining line mates around him but the issue like the thing that kills them is is the guys you're paying that you, you just don't get anywhere near value for the for the cap hit for and I, I think that's Chicago's challenge to solve any, you know, obviously they can't solve it before tonight's game, but you know, if they want to get that really deep team together and, and take another run, that's, that's their issue to fix. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how they, uh, how they're able to do that. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's bounce around these final three series here. Um, before we get out of here, uh, let's move on to, uh, to Canadians Rangers, which has, uh, has played out pretty much exactly the way I, uh, I think we expected, right? Like the Canadians at points in this series have looked like the far superior dominant team and the Rangers haven't been able to get the puck from them. And then there's been these flashes and, you know, game four, they played much better for sure, where the Rangers were just look like this kind of explosive dynamic team. And you're just like, how is this the same team? It just, it's, it's, it's amazing how wide of a range their outcomes are for a team that's in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, 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 the Rangers are one of those teams I don't understand. I still think Montreal is going to win this series. Um, you know, like the Habs, I don't know, it's easy to say they could be up 3-1. I guess they could be down 1-3-2 pretty easily. So it's, it's, I just, I just ultimately, you know, I think Montreal is the deeper team with the deeper players. The one thing I do wonder though, and I sort of thought this watching some of the games is, is, is Shea Weber, is New York a bad matchup for him? Because he's not the quickest guy, right? And the Rangers have a lot of guys that can fly out there. Right. And I just wonder if that's kind of an uncomfortable, or not uncomfortable, but like you wonder if he would do better with a matchup against a team that played a bit more of a, of a slow game. And I don't think that's what the Rangers do. Yeah, I think that's I think that's safe to say. I mean, it's it's still though. Like I, if I was betting on it, I think that uh, you're right that I would take the Canadians here just because. I don't. I don't trust the Rangers to play two more of those really good games in these final three. Although I guess it's a, it's definitely a possibility at this point that they could. But it's like if you're the Canadians, you still feel pretty good about your chances just based on uh, your ability to have this sort of more sustainable uh, puck possession attack that they've shown throughout the season and in the series so far. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see if the uh, if the Canadians get through or if the Canadians lose, which is obviously a possibility. Um, you know, I wonder if all the people who were beating the drums about, uh, about that Weber PK trade early in the season, when Weber had that hot start, I wonder if they're going to, if they're going to pipe up or if they're going to be all quiet, because it sure seemed early in the season, you heard a lot about what a brilliant trade that was. And I feel like you hear less now. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I mean, listen, looking ahead, like, I think if you were forecasting this, uh, this postseason just based on the bracket, like you would have thought, wow, the Bruins uh, look like they're going to be in pretty good shape to potentially get to a, to an Eastern Conference final here, just going through the Atlantic Division. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, if the Senators get through, we'll see, obviously, if, if Carlson, like we mentioned, is able to maintain this level of play. I think that they can hang with pretty much anyone, but it seems like an unfair thing to ask him to just keep playing this way for like 15 to 20 games in a row. And if he slips up at all, uh, all of a sudden, like it's pretty wide open here for either the Rangers or the, or the Canadians to, to make a nice low run. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I definitely agree with that. Like I, I think whoever, 
whoever comes out of this uh, Montreal New York series is going to be the favorite in the next round. And um, now, you know, I should, I, I'm saying that off the cuff. Right. I, I should take into account what I've learned um, as far as, you know, maybe MacArthur being a difference maker. So I'll have to consider that. But I, I do like Montreal if they can get through this series. Like, I think they're in a good spot to go at least to the third round. Mm. But, you know, we'll see. Like, the Rangers the Rangers have been a little better than I expected. Yeah. Uh, do you have, to wrap this up, do you have any uh, overarching takeaways from, from the four games we've seen so far of Penguins Blue Jackets? Oh, like, that's another one. It's, it's, it's almost like one of those central time zone series. Like, it, it seems like it's always scheduled up against... Uh, against against the Leafs games um so I haven't seen a ton of it the one thing I like I didn't think Columbus was that good going into the playoffs I don't think they're that good now um but I it's funny like I also don't think that the Penguins are necessarily as bulletproof as they were last year yeah so I think this was a really good matchup for the Penguins because they might have got the weakest or second weakest team in the bracket and I know it drives Columbus fans nuts some people say that and I'm sorry but nobody was pumping the tires of their power play unit early in the year more than me like yep. they were great they were fantastic but you know the last 30 40 games like they haven't been good and you know like, like and i think columbus has a lot of good things and they're on the way up but you know they've got some issues at their middle six and they've got to figure out a way to make the power play score again so i i really do think it was a good matchup for the penguins like obviously you know i think the penguins are going to win and put that away so i think it was a good matchup for the penguins and it, it's just it's just columbus you know, they aren't, they aren't there yet. And it's, it's funny. Like, I don't know. I'm a little, you talk about teams that might regress next year. I think Columbus probably needs some work to avoid, to avoid not suffering a regression. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, I really hope they get it figured out. And, you know, I'm just because like, that's man, like, like somebody pointed out, did you see the other day? That was their first regulation playoff win ever. Yeah, I did. And did you see the other stat about how uh, I think they've played 14 playoff games in their franchise history and they've given up at least three goals in every one of them, which yeah. you know, obviously goals against is a flawed stat to evaluate goaltending. But it's just like if you're giving up at least three goals every single time, you're, you're probably not going to be winning a lot too many games. Yeah, yeah. And it's not 1984. No, it's, it, it's a problem. And so I don't know, like I, I think it's good for the NHL. When, you know, like it's, it's not good for a team in a, in a city, particularly a new team like that, when it's just like, you know, you, you never kind of get the break. You need to make a run. And, and so like Columbus is a team I'd really like to see, you know, have one of those years where they go to the conference finals. I think it would be wild. Everybody I know who has worked there or spent time there says great things about the city. Uh, but I, I just, they're, they're not a very good team, I don't think. And and they've got some great young pieces, but they've got some stuff to clean up before they can really go into a series of Pittsburgh and say, yeah, you know, we, we should win this. Well, and, and to be fair to the Blue Jackets, like, I actually don't think they've looked that overmatched in this series. I think they've been perfectly fine. The problem is, is that, you know, it's, it seems silly to say, it, but it's really true. Like, they don't have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And there's been these stretches where they've you know been controlling play and looking fine and then all of a sudden you look up at the scoreboard and the penguins just scored like two or three quick goals and you're like how the hell did that happen and it's like oh yeah they the penguins have easily the two best players in this series and you just you you have to uh, account for that and that's why i think that while i agree that the penguins aren't the team they were last year and there's a lot of red flags like if Crosby and Malkin are going to stay healthy and, and just be dragging everything up with them, like I would be pretty scared to pick against them in a series. So, uh, except that I think that that works. I think that works. Um, 
until they run into a team that can really well until they run into the Capitals potentially who also have Ovechkin and Backstrom and, and Kuznetsov. Yeah, let's say they run into the Leafs. Like, um, like who do you think is better, the Capitals or the Penguins? Well, I think the Pen- I think the Capitals are better than the Penguins, but I think the Penguins are better than the Leafs. Um, right, but say the Leafs get by the Caps. I, I I think the Pens are closer to the Leafs than the Caps are. Yeah, yeah, I think Trans- that's fair. Transitive property, Dimitri. I think that's fair. Yeah, and, and so like like I just don't think it's uh, well. I don't know. Like you know what? Like say 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 the Penguins play the Leafs. Who has the better defense right now? Neither team. <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be fun for the fans, right? The, the Sabers. The Sabers are the team that the has Sabres. the best. Yeah. That's very good. You bring it you bring it full circle. Yeah, that's why I'm a podcasting professional. Um all right, Tyler, let's uh let's get out of here. Plug some stuff. Uh what do you I know you've been banging out a lot of work at the athletic. Do you have anything in the in the works right now? Or are you kinda of waiting uh, for uh, round two? I'm no no no. I you know, i I've got lots of thoughts and uh Jimbo likes me to write them, so Mm. So I'll have some stuff up there, I'm sure, shortly. Uh, you can follow my Twitter feed, at Hockey, And, uh, yeah, subscribe to The Athletic. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time. Let's get you back on sometime in round two or something like that. Sounds good, bud. Cheers. Yeah. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.